1: This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net.
0: Hey, all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Arabels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad.
1: Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age lore cast, where we talk about all things concerning Dragon Age and its lore. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup.
0: Hey, I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup.
1: And we're here to continue our Season 3, which is talking about magic, spirits, and demons. Oh, my. And today we're bringing you a character deep dive. And I'll let you all know, all of our character deep dives for Season 3 are, you guessed it, mages.
0: Yes, they are. All mages. Or or magical beings. I guess we could say that way.
1: <laughs> is a certain someone who is magical, but not a mage one on the list?
0: Um, I mean, he, he is, was kind of a mage, but his, his character, uh, his class in the game is not. But anyway, so yeah, we're talking about all mages, mostly mages this season. But today we have a guest.
1: We do. So we have with us Vervada, one of the hosts of the Two Girls One Ship podcast. Hey,
2: Vervada! Hello. Thanks for having me back. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you back. I'm
1: always so, down to gush about Dragon Age, especially this character. So, uh, if you don't know, Vervada guest with us on our Chantry episode back in season two. And we're back here to talk about a highly contested character, even contested amongst the three of us.
0: Yes, we are talking about the one, the only egg in all of Dragon Age, Solus.
1: AKA Egg Daddy. Um, There is an original egg that we don't call the egg, but he deserves to be an egg. And his name is Zachrian because he looks like an egg as well. <laughs>
0: You're right. Zathrian is the original egg. You're right. Absolutely correct. Um, But before we get into content, I have a disclaimer for anyone who's listening to this episode. I know in our intro, we say that there will be spoilers. And this episode especially is chock full of spoilers. So do not, I repeat... Do not listen to this episode if you haven't finished Dragon Age Inquisition or Trespasser, unless you're okay with spoilers, which I personally do not recommend in this scenario. But that is the disclaimer, so don't come to us angry with us for spoilers if you continue to listen to this episode.
1: I was waiting for Sam's voice. because. I- <laughs> so here's your effing spoiler alert.
0: <laughs> Anyways, are we ready for the fun facts? All right. So first and foremost, Solus is an elven apostate who is an expert on the Fade. He is a companion in Dragon Age Inquisition and a potential romance option for female elven inquisitors only. Also, he is the first romance option available only to elven players. And originally, Soulless wasn't going to be romanceable. I was shocked when I read that. The game genuinely would not be the same if he wasn't romanceable.
1: It would be the first game where the apostate is not romanceable.
2: That's true. Apparently Bioware likes the
1: bad boys. Um, And
2: bad girlies.
1: I'm just going to laugh so hard if in Dad, the apostate companion is like the most wholesome, like not heartbreaking romance ever and no one does it because they're all traumatized. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, I think that's likely actually. I know we all have different opinions about the soulless romance and we will get into that later, but I think we have a good representation between the three of us. So I thought we could kind of say briefly um, whether or not you like the soulless romance, whether or not uh, you like soulless generally where you stand on the question of the Eggman himself.
2: As the ambassador of the podcast about video game romances, I feel like I'm obligated to like the soulless romance, but that aside, I genuinely do. And I believe I have a pretty strong argument for why it is such an, it's not maybe the most important romance, but I think it could be you could make a good argument for it being because it's just got so much impact potentially on the story. And I can't really think of another romance that really has that potential. And uh, yeah, it's not, it's not an easy one, but it's definitely a good one. I think obviously all, all these rabid solus mansers wouldn't exist.
0: <laughs> True. Um, and I think I agree with you that it is one of the, the more story focused romances um and the only other one i think that really holds a candle to it at all is the morrigan romance um but so you are you are pro soulless austin what about you
1: i don't want i'm not anti soulless
0: are you sure because you asked me earlier if you could just skip this episode
1: i did so as we all know here on the podcast me and anders are not friends
0: how, can we pause? How do you always find a way <laughs> to relate everything back to you hating Anders?
1: Because it was traumatizing. for. <laughs> me. But anyway, so as you all know, I am not friends with Anders. And so I think with Solace, so much of it is colored by Anders because in my brain, like, I can't be mad at Anders for what he did and then just excuse what Solace is going to do.
0: I get that, but they're two totally different characters. Oh,
1: I know. And I don't think they're the same at all. I feel for Solace in a lot of ways. Like his, we'll get into this his companion quest and just the sadness that he so much feels. And like, I think he's a good representation of like internalized. for lack of a better word internalized racism like he is so traumatized by what has happened to the elven people that he is now racist towards the elven people so i feel for Mm -hmm. him in a lot of ways like that but he is just an asshole and my my biggest things are like and again this goes back to anders too is the kind of hypocritical things that happen like anders says he wants to fight for freedom and like his all, his all his gear is named after this sense of like freedom or whatever yet he is totally okay with Taventer's view of slavery and giving Fenris back to slavery and that's kind of where I was get with Solace because he gets so mad at Blackwall for lying and deceiving about who he really is
2: i have an argument against that but i don't know if we want to get into it just yet but. i yeah i
0: i disagree with some of the things you said but i think we should move on and we can mm-hmm. get into it a
2: little. i just bit want later. to remember to put a bookmark on what you just said about lying about who you are yes. we will address this later
0: if i generally summed you up in your views towards solace you would generally be on the anti soulless side I know you disagree with that, but that's that's where I'm placing you.
1: I'll be fine. I definitely would not be siding with him. As of right now, I am not siding with him going into dad.
0: Okay. So, Vervada's Pro Solus, Austin is Anti. And I find myself somewhere in the middle, um, which I feel like is very rare <laughs> i don't feel like anybody in the fandom is like oh solace is mid like it's either you love him or you hate him or you really love him or you really hate him like there's not much in the middle um but i find myself in the middle on solace I, I don't um, i definitely don't hate him but his romance is not my favorite but let's get back to the fun facts so um this is an actual fun fact in the Elven language, the word Solus means pride. And there is a city in the Taventer Imperium north of the Silent Plains that is called Solus. And this is also um, the area in which there is another Elven or Dalish tribe that basically worships the uh, Forgotten Ones, the opposite of the Evanuris, ancient elven gods. So that's an interesting connection. There also seems to be hints in the lore that there is maybe that same tribe of Dalish or another one that um, has like totally allied with Solas and they were kind of like his first followers, like when he came back essentially. So We don't know a lot about that, but those are some hinting things. Also, another really interesting thing is that solace talks in iambic pentameter all the time. And if the inquisitor responds, uh, chooses the response that is iambic pentameter,
2: like in response, you get more approval. I do love me some poetic words. The way he speaks is like painting a picture and that's one mm. of the reasons why I really like him. Yeah, he he
0: has he has a way with words. Um and I, I also love like a good the voice. Yeah, I love a good literary reference in my video games, so mm-hmm.
1: I think that also that is why a lot of people might overplay his arrogance a lot because we, you know, we associate that kind of Shakespearean English and Shakespeare's the most famous use of the iambic pentameter. So like we associate that whole area with like the uppity like snob people, but that's not really fair in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. it's also a really good device to make him seem so different than everyone else in the Inquisition. He doesn't speak like anyone else, so he's automatically marked as different. And yeah, it does come off as haughty because he's quite haughty, but... It's also a beautiful way to speak. It reminds me, when I first heard him talk, it reminded me of the way things were described in like Lord of the Rings, which was one of the first books I read in my life. And um, it was just, I was instantly attracted to that. (laughs) I was like, yes, please write me poetry.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, And also he is considered a hedge mage by uh, people who don't know like his true identity. So if you have listened to our episode on magic, our first episode of season three, we talked a little bit about hedge mages. And and basically a hedge mage is anyone who's uh, magic, who is a magic user and who is not like trained in a circle. So a circle or these circles um, they have a very specific way of training you. And so when you start developing your magic and you're getting trained, you get trained in a specific way. So when you are not trained, your magic develops differently because you don't have training. So, magic users, when they're not trained by a circle or even just like a body that is um, like advanced, I guess you could say your magic is going to be different.
1: So like, this is a perfect example. Morrigan is not a hedge mage because she's trained by Flemeth and the other kind of chastened Witch of the Wild type of area.
0: That is correct. But she and Solace both present themselves as hedge mages because it's, I, I feel like it would be more dangerous to be like, Oh, I'm a powerful mage who is trained by a witch in the wilds, and I'm just going to travel with you, Grey Warden, all around Ferelden where people are hostile to magic. I feel like that's much more dangerous than presenting yourself as, oh, I'm just a hedge mage. I'm not very, like, civilized or I'm not very advanced in my magic. I feel like that that's the safer route for mages.
1: Kind of back up a little bit back to the iambic pentameter. I think that that's also why we tend to over or really analyze the things that he says, because it's in that specific meter, it means that every word chosen there was intentional.
0: And also we're already used to analyzing Shakespearean like literature in school. So if you're already in that mindset, when you're reading something like that or listening to something like that, that's going to be like the natural way you look at or listen to his words. So Varric's nickname for Solace, because Varric has a nickname for everyone, Varric's nickname for him is Chuckles. Which I personally, this is my least favorite Varric nickname. And the reason why is not really anything to do with the nickname, but because Chuckles is also Varric's nickname for a purple or maybe a red hawk. One of the hawks. Um, it's also, it's a, so it's a repeated nickname. I'm not a fan of that. I feel like Varric wouldn't repeat a nickname.
1: I agree. Doesn't seem very creative. No, but it, I think I remember when we were talking about the Varric episode or something about Finn Um, maybe in the Elven Gods. There's something with laughing in Finn Herrell.
0: Yeah, giggling. Yeah,
1: you know, that he like giggles all the time.
0: No, it's not that he giggles all the time. It's that, um, <laughs> it's that when he succeeds in banishing the Evanurus. He is so tickled that all he can do is giggle. All he can do is laugh.
1: Feeds into my Varric is the maker theory.
2: Oh my God. Okay.
1: (laughs) Oh, I forgot about that.
0: (laughs) Well, i have a couple more fun facts and then we can get into like his general bio. So Solus's greatest fear, as we know from the Fade, is dying alone, which I found to be Vastly interesting and not at all what I would have expected. Yep. Solace also hates tea, as we know from the cutscene. And then my last fun fact is that Solace is typically described as knowledgeable, logical, and refusing to believe in like good and evil. Like he doesn't see those categories as easily definable, which I think is fairly accurate
2: very convenient for him as well Mm -hmm.
0: very convenient
2: well it also makes
1: sense that he if he is really finnarell um that he walks but finnarell is the only god that walks between the two groups whereas the like at least from what we know of the dalish they categorize the two groups into good and evil but finnarell walks that line and goes between
0: that's a great point All right, so let's get into the content, the juicy stuff. So Solus was written by Patrick Weeks, um, and so according to Patrick Weeks, Solus grew up in a small village. We don't know where exactly. Important to note that he is not Dalish, nor is he a city elf. Solus was around before either of these groups became a thing at all. In conversations with Solus, he does look down upon both the Dalish and the city elves. He considers himself to be outside both of these groups. And this is what I personally think leads people who don't like Solus into saying, oh, well, he just hates all the elves. He's racist against elves. He um, He's too arrogant, too haughty. I think this is really the core of the issue um, is, and also his opinions on the Kunari, but um, both of those are, I think, the things that turn people against him. But he considers himself to be an ancient elf and and that makes total sense like he doesn't really have anything in common even with the city elves and the dalish elves so Solus's specialty since we know he is a mage his specialty is in the fade and he spends so much of his time in the fade dreaming sleeping all the time in ancient ruins, battlefields, wherever significant events have happened, Solus is going to be there. And that's because he wants to learn all there is to learn about that location, wherever he is studying, throughout all of time and history. And so because of this, this is his goal, because of that, he has a much more expansive and open-minded view on magic and the Fade than pretty much anybody else you can meet in Thetis. He does not fear spirits and he does not consider them to be demons, unlike most of the rest of the party. And that's why we have Solus Constantly embracing Cole. Cole is, is the one that goes to Solace when he has identity issues, you could say. And Solus is really the only one, I think, who could listen to him and help him and actually be helpful. There are other people who would support him, of course, but I think Solace is one of the only people in the party who can actually like give any kind of material help in this situation.
1: I feel like Solis also has an alternative motive for learning about all the history, because I think that's how he's judging the world and coming to his conclusion about what needs to happen. By going to all these significant places and seeing them from multiple perspectives, because he tells us, that in the Fade, nothing is clear. And he uses Ostagar as an example. And it's like, sometimes I see the noble king dying in battle, betrayed by a person he trusted. And on one side, on another side, I'll see a commander trying to save the troops under his command.
0: Yeah, I see that. But I I don't think it's, it's as much about like having this ulterior motive to judge the world. I think it's more about like, he is, he wants, he's missed so much in the time that he's been sleeping in the time that he hasn't been part of the world that he is trying to catch up on everything that he's missed.
2: Yeah. I I like, that's how I think of it. And I also think of it as there are places in the fade that are essences of what his world must've been like. And it's probably almost nostalgic for him. Like he can When he talks to the older spirits and he goes to the older places, it's a way to remember what he lost, basically, what he caused to be lost.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So kind of going off of that, Solas is totally a loner. He um, doesn't really have a lot of friends in the material world. He considers his friends uh, to be the spirits that he meets in the Fade. And so he spends most of his time in his little alcove in Skyhold. And honestly, he doesn't venture out very often. For example, we often see Blackwall, he will move between right outside of the stable, inside the stable, in different parts of the stables. He'll talk to different NPCs that are around. We don't see Solus doing that at all. We don't see him having ambient conversations. We don't see NPCs wandering into that, his area in Skyhold, we don't see it that at at all.
2: And when, you know, he's painting all the murals on the wall, it's kind of like he's creating his own little fade moment of the Inquisition. Like as you go about your adventures, he adds more to it. And it's just his little take on what's going on, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if you've read um, Venture Nights, but there is a very interesting chapter in um in that in that series that involves the paintings in the alcove and a demon. So, I would just recommend you to read that. So, Solus is also very thoughtful and he always favors thoughtful solutions to conflicts and like asking questions. He values like free thinking. He is not someone that wants everyone to think like him. And I think that you definitely see that in the romance, um, that you you can change him and you can influence his thoughts, especially his thoughts on other races and the elves. But when you do make choices that are not thoughtful or choices that are like rash, you do lose approval with him. Okay, so I brought a couple of quotes. This is a quote from the World of Thetis Encyclopedia. And it says this Though he has made attempts to reach out to others, notably Dalish elves, towards whom he is skeptical, to teach them what he has learned of the fade, he has frequently been derided by both enemies and allies as a liar and a madman. This adds to the impression others sometimes have that Solus does not care about other elves when, in fact, he merely fears there is no way to help them in their current state and he has grown weary of not being heeded. What do y'all think about this quote?
1: I definitely feel a little kinship with the part of has grown weary of not being heeded
0: retweet.
1: <laughs> but I think it's interesting. This quote frames it as kind of going against like the criticism that Solus gets that he doesn't care about the elves or like else. In fact, it's framing it as like his attitude is because it's too much.
2: I, yeah, I mean, I think he says at one point it's like after a certain point it chips away at you when everyone just keeps from like everyone as it said, they don't believe him, they shun him. The world he knew and grew up in and was Fen'Harel in was so intrinsically involved with magic, like magic just permeated everything. And now it's so separate and it's seen as a curse. If you are a mage, like it's not good and everything is so different. And, you know, he sees like shadows of what his people once were. And they don't want anything to do with him. And I imagine after so many times of that happening, you start to feel like it's never going to work. And, you know, his fear of dying alone is a very valid one because as it stands, he is probably the loneliest person in the world. There's no one else like him anymore. I mean, unless you count like Mythol and all that, but she may be gone, blah, blah, blah. We don't really know about that. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, there's no one who understands him unless you romance him but we'll get there
0: maybe you could count abalos and the sentinel elves too but yeah Yeah. you're right there's there's not a lot of people that he has like this innate kinship with that just understand his worldview and the way he looks at them but i definitely when i first read this quote i took it i was annoyed um i took it the other way and which is that He is so convinced of his own intelligence and that his worldview is the right worldview that he is then condescending to all these other groups, which makes them hostile to him, of course, like nobody wants to be told. Oh, your sacred tattoos are actually slave markings. Want me to get rid of them for you? Like that's an earth-shattering revelation that people need more than like 30 seconds to to react to. You can you can have these conversations tactfully. And I personally am not sure that Solace did that or um, tried even to do that, but I do also have understanding that this is a hard Place to be. It is not easy to feel like no one understands you. It is not easy to be in a place where you are constantly trying to explain your views and your beliefs to people who won't listen. So I do have sympathy for Solace in this situation. I just also see him maybe not handling it in the most healthy way.
2: I think it's both for sure. Like, I think you're absolutely right. And that's part of the reason why I like the romance so much is that you have such a big opportunity to shift his entire worldview, literally. Like, you can either further entrench him in those prejudiced beliefs about the world Or you can literally open his mind up to the possibility that like, yeah, you erected the fade and the veil and and everything is completely different than what you remember, but it's not necessarily wrong or bad. It's just different.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And yeah. I'm excited to see what happens in Dad, depending on which choice you chose.
0: So he is known throughout Skyhold as a very polite man, even if he is kind of a loner. Um, He's also seen as worldly because he led the Inquisition to Skyhold pretty miraculously. He, you know, provided exactly what the Inquisition needed Right when they needed it most, and you know his magical knowledge has been also very miraculous in terms of um, all the rifts. Like he's the one that really guides the Inquisitor, and we look back on that with our eyes of, oh well, yeah, that's because he did know everything. Uh, but if you put yourself in the shoes of an NPC in Skyhold you're going to look up to that person as like, oh my gosh, they know so much about magic. They're so important. They are this worldly, mystical, mysterious person. And so that's how people look at him in Skyhold. And then also Solas definitely believes in cause and effect. His whole art is undoing the effects of what he caused years and years ago. He very much sees the conflicts that plague Thetis in this light, in this cause and effect. And he also very much sees like the mages versus Templars, elves versus humans, spirit versus demons. Like these are pretty black and white issues to him, which I think is interesting because he establishes earlier that he doesn't see things in black and white, but he kind of treats these conflicts as if they are that way. When he does treat these issues as black and white, I think it causes people to think he doesn't care about others, especially other elves. When in fact he, he does, he just believes that he can't really help them in the way that they're currently living. He He just has to restore their former way of life and that's that's the best way to help them not necessarily to like help them in this life which I don't agree with but that's where he's coming from. Okay so I just have one more thing to talk about with his bio and then we can get into the mid break. So if solace's approval drops dramatically so if you hate solace you're not friends with him you um will get a cutscene in Skyhold where Solace basically confronts you about your manipulative behavior and support of divisive ignorance, I think is what he calls it. And this scene is so good. I love this scene and I've actually never even got it. I saw it on YouTube. But he he takes comfort in the fact that the Inquisitor has proved every negative stereotype that he had of you correct so if you're a kunari and he you don't get along he basically is more entrenched in his anti kunari beliefs and so it's so interesting to me Because we don't often get this perspective. We often, in our companions, we just have companions who like blindly support you no matter what you do. Or sometimes they call you out on your BS, but you can talk them down. And Solus is not necessarily this way. And in fact, you are reinforcing basically his hatred of your people. And I think that that's a very interesting dynamic that you don't always get that often but even even if you do have differences with solas and you get this scene he does still stay with the inquisition because he still feels like the inquisition is the best way to like solve the whole corypheus crisis um and he hopes that he will one day be heated um and this is when you can punch him
1: and then there there's another scene that happens in trespasser if you have low enough approval that just makes me laugh so much You get to Trespasser, he, you know, he says his line. It's like, I'm sure you have questions and you as the Inquisitor can just be like, when have I ever cared about what you had to say? And then he just spouts this like one breath sentence about. I'm going to kill everyone. Your mark is killing you. Here, let me take your hand.
0: I know it's so sassy of the Inquisitor and the look on his face when you choose that dialogue. He's so offended, but he's so determined to not let you know that he, how offended he is. And he's just like, fine, I'm the Dread Wolf. I erected the veil and your mark is killing you. And now I'm going to cut off your arm.
2: That's so great. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that route, but I watched on YouTube and it was hilarious.
0: All right, Austin, I think it's time for the mid break.
1: All right, well, let's go enchantment enchantment you need me oh
0: i am yours as always
1: well welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things that don't have to do with the lore on the lore cast and it's time like this that we thank our patrons and we go about by doing that by reading our first patrons we do this every show
0: our first patrons are lisa m genesis Derek b and zuba Thank you all for being our
1: patrons. Yes, thank you. If you would like to join our Patreon, you can find the link in the episode description. There are various tiers, all with different benefits from just having early access and ad-free episodes all the way to coming on the show with us for our patron episode. Um, You need to be at the... First Enchanter tier, for that benefit, if you'd like to join and join us on the show as we discuss topics, we greatly appreciate all the support we can get from there. And another way to support the show is to leave us reviews on Spotify and Apple. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. Shelby, I don't think we have a new review to read today.
0: No, we don't have a new review or a Hero, Hawk, or Herald to read out either.
1: All right. Well, if you would still like to share your Hero, Hawk, or Herald, you can drop that in our Discord, and we will read them out on the show. We love sharing our uh, PCs with everyone, player characters. And so that's great. Um, If you would like to come and talk with us more, you can join our Discord. The link is also in the episode description, the Cups Podcasting and more. You can join there, come and chat with us about Dragon Age, about our other podcasts that we host with the Assassin's Creed lore cast or the other podcasts that I also co-host, the Holocron Histories podcast. We talk about all of that. We share pictures of our dogs and pets and hilarious memes and all kinds of stuff. It's a great time. Or if you need if you want even more podcasts to listen to, like the Two Girls, One Ship podcast, you can join the Robots Radio Discord, also found in the link. We are found on there in the Dragon Age channel, but you can also find awesome, an awesome amount of video game podcasts. If there's a video game, odds are our network has a podcast about it.
0: Yes, indeed. There's a lot of awesome people in both servers. So anything else for the mid-break?
1: I don't think
2: so all right
0: let's get back to it
2: well that was orlesian Dareth shira
0: you fear barbarians will swoop down upon you yes swooping is bad so normally i lead us through all the lore stuff but today since we have verbata with us from two girls one ship and their specialty is video game romances. I am turning over the reins to her to talk about the romance a little bit.
2: Uh, Buckle up, everybody, (laughs) because I didn't exactly. Well, this is not going to be like an IGN how to romance solace guide, to say the least. So I want to start off by saying solace is a Byronic hero, as in Lord Byron, the poet. If you don't know what that means, it essentially is a Man of Loneliness and Mystery, which perfectly sums up Solace. I just I pulled actually two quotes from two of Lord Byron's poems because I think they perfectly describe Solace, and I always like a chance to slip some poetry into a podcast. So the first one is a short one from the poem, When I Roved a Young Highlander, and it goes, As the last of my race, I must wither alone, and delight but in days I have witnessed before. And if that isn't solace to a T, I don't know what is. And uh, then this next one's a little bit longer. It's from the Corsair, which is also another word for a pirate or a privateer. He knew himself a villain, but he deemed the rest no better than the thing he seemed and scorned the best as hypocrites who hid those deeds the bolder spirit plainly did. He knew himself detested, but he knew the hearts that loathed him, crouched and dreaded too, lone, wild, and strange. He stood alike exempt from all affection and from all contempt. That's also very, very much Solus. I think. I thought it was also perfect that it's poetry and he speaks and I am a pentameter. But the real meat of what I wanted to talk about with Solus is, strangely enough, the tarot cards. Because I found a wonderful analysis of Solus's tarot cards. Credit to Nufles on Reddit. I believe this post was like from three years ago, but it was amazing. If you have not romanced Solus, his... Romance tarot card is of him standing, basically caressing a leaf on a golden tree, holding a staff, and there's a white wolf at his side. He's facing the left of the card when you're looking at it, and the wolf is facing directly at you. Contrast this wolf with his other wolf in his other tarot cards, which is the dread wolf, the black wolf with many eyes, and it's much, much larger than him. Something interesting about this card is you might know what tarot card Solus is usually compared to Mm -hmm. if you recently saw the uh, really interesting looking statue released on the Bioware gear store. It's called the Hierophant, but that's actually not the card that Nuvles on Reddit, and I agree with them, that's actually not the card that most resembles this romance card. The card that it most resembles is the Fool in the Major Arcana, which the Fool, if you don't know about tarot cards, they have numbers, but the Fool actually has the number zero, so it can go at the beginning or the end, meaning unlimited potential. And as such, it holds no specific place in the sequence because the Fool's journey is ever-present. And we can compare that with the journey Solas took to get to Lavellan's side. If his story is correct, and he is one, was once Fen'Harel, the rebel leader, and he erected the veil to save his people, he watched the world he loved turned to ash, and he had to witness the elves' subjugation and the loss of magic as it was. When he awoke from his long sleep, the world as he knew it was only held in the memories of the farthest reaches of the Fade and in the oldest spirits, and his name had become a curse. It makes his general disdain for everything much more understandable, and his motivations for trying to basically control Z everything. After lifetimes of darkness, Mm -hmm. his heart full of guilt, shame, and fatalistic determination because remember, his greatest fear is to die alone. And this path of tearing down the veil, he's not really sure what's going to happen. He might die on this journey. He calls his path the path of Dinan which is the path of death. So very easy to assume that he believes he'll die at the end of his mission to bring down the veil. But then he meets Lavellon. He calls her a rare and marvelous spirit. Someone who shows him that the world was not doomed when he created the veil because she came from it. Cole sums up the gravity of their romance well. This is a quote from Cole. He hurts an old pain from before when everything's saying the same. You're real and it means everyone could be real. It changes everything, but it can't. Which is sad, <laughs> that was, ah, oh, this whole romance. But if you do not romance Solace, his tarot card at the end of Inquisition, if you've seen it, is a cloaked Solace walking with a staff, the black wolf, the dread wolf looming at his back, almost drowning out everything behind him. But if you do romance solace, that romance tarot card does not change at the end of the game, despite him leaving her. The white wolf in that card remains, faces a different direction, like I said, showing that Solace's path is not towards Lavellan. But if you put the Lavellan tarot card when you're making your character and you're first choosing what race to play, you choose the female elf, that tarot card, if you put it next to the Solace romance card, they face each other. And she even has a golden tree in her card, so it really looks like they're together. <laughs> and that wolf, Fen'Harel, is a symbol of his journey, the journey of death. Exactly who or what's death is uncertain, and I am sure it's going to be explored in Dad. But for me, this love between lavellan and Solus is precious. She is literally the first person in many lifetimes to have seen past all his roles and titles, especially that of Fen'Harel, to the person he just is, Solus which is why I disagreed earlier with Austin when he said that he lied about who he is because he didn't really. He is Soulless. Fen Harel was just a title. And I just want to remind everyone that this is a preview of our Two Girls, One Ship episode on Soulless. That's probably not coming out till next year. But aside from the great kissing, aside from the booty grabbing, the reason why I will always love this romance is because, like I said earlier, I believe it to be potentially the most impactful romance on story for any Bioware story. Like, I cannot wait to see where they take it for dad to see a romanced inquisitor versus a non romanced inquisitor, like how that changes what's. I really, really want Solus to be redeemed because he does not strike me as a villain. He strikes me as a very, very unwilling anti hero. So I think, especially with how much you're able to change his mind when you view what a Solus that you romanced and was kind to versus a very low approval Solus, how different their views are. I think. I think you could maybe turn him away from his path. I don't know. It didn't work in Trespasser, but we'll see.
0: We will see. And I really loved the tarot card analysis that you brought. I even had to look up like the two facing each other because I couldn't remember um, what the Lavellum one looked like. But you're right. It, they, are, they are just totally looking right at each other. Um, and it honestly looks like two halves of the same whole. So thank you so much for bringing that, that part of it into the conversation. I I wouldn't have even picked up on any of that. So thank you for that. But I I definitely agree with you that I think the romance is a tragedy. and it's, it's just so tragic. And even if you don't like Solace, I hope that you can see the genuine heartbreak and sadness in the romance. Because Solace really does love, love Ellen. He, he never is trying, he's never anything that he's not. Like, he never is trying to lie to her, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and even though he, he does, he's not trying to. it And and the breakup scene, the scene uh, where he removes her Vaseline, is just so it is so well done. Especially the writing, but even more than the writing, the voice acting is phenomenal, superb. And there's there's one I've only seen it with uh, the British voice, but the the way that she just captures like that moment of despair and like the voice cracking, like all of it is just 10 out of 10. Phenomenal. Um, so I would say if you haven't played a Dragon Age Inquisition playthrough where you romanced Solas, you should either think about it before D.A.D. comes out or just watch it on YouTube because and, and not that it's canon or not that it's the best playthrough to have. But I do think that if you are a fan of this game, it is a perspective that you need to have to be able to understand who Solace is more. Because I think when you don't romance him, you don't see that more intimate side of him. And so it's very easy to write him off as like, oh, he's just a loner, nerd, annoying, arrogant guy who who wants to tell me what to do all the time. And that's not really who he is. He has very specific views. Um so definitely watch the romance to get to know him a little bit more.
2: I think that's what is so powerful for me, because I know that in a chat separate of this episode, Austin called Solace, like the chaste romance, you know, like there is no sex scene with Solace. And I wanted to bring up the vaseline removal scene, because that is literally only available to a romanced Lavellen. Like no one else can have the vaseline removed. And that act in and of itself, back when he was Fenherel, he regularly removed the slave marks off the elves' faces, but no one does that anymore. The Dalish mark their faces in a complete opposite reason to say, I'm different. We are free people, you know, of the Dales. And when he removed her Valisleen, it was the biggest testament to his love for her that he could have given her, because there is no other way like that act in and of itself was him declaring his love for her that she will never look at her face again and not think of him he gave her a gift in his mind it wasn't just like you used to have slave markings let me take them off and free you it was literally like him marking her by removing her marks you know and it was it, some i have i did find some arguments on the internet that said that was akin to a sex scene but i actually really like that it wasn't because for me, I am just such a hopeless romantic that was so, even though it was heartbreaking, it was also so romantic because they are, for whatever reason, star-crossed lovers. And it's all because Solace feels so strongly that his mission must happen. For whatever reason, he thinks he has to do this to save the world. And I guess the only hope is to convince him that that world's already gone. We can't save it. So hopefully a romance love Ellen can be enough to do that. I guess we'll find out in dad, whatever goes on there.
0: Yeah I hope we do find out and I have to agree with you that I like that there's not necessarily a sex scene in the romance and I kind of come from it with a different perspective because for me I feel like it it would be borderline wrong to have a sex scene in a relationship where one party doesn't really know who the other party is like that's that's not the best dynamic to be promoting in my opinion yeah and i think i think so says, says something mm-hmm. yeah he says something to the effect of that at the end like how he just he couldn't and i respect i that made me respect him a lot
2: more when i saw that part of him oh just so tragic and beautiful
1: i think it's also a nice change of pace because BioWare as a gaming company, and even just the video game industry altogether, so much of romance, like the intimacy of romance culminates in that sex scene. Like that is the most intimate moment. And with Soulless, that's not the case. And it shows that intimacy takes place in many forms. And I think about if comparing to another BioWare game... In Mass Effect, if you've romanced Thane and you don't romance anyone in Mass Effect 3 and you do the Citadel DLC, you basically wake up alone. You're comforted by the ghost of Thane. And it's another moment of, like, it's not this, like, sexual scene, but it's a highly intimate scene. And it's one of the few times that you see a Bioware protagonist cry or be vulnerable. And I think that that's similar in this romance scene with the Vala in that you hear the voice crack and the voice acting. There's a sense of vulnerability, the shield of like plot armor and protagonist, whatever is dropped.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. And I think, I mean, I'm thinking of a couple times where you can really see that shield fall with the, the protagonists and companions, but it, you're right. It does not happen very often. All right, well, let's move on to significant quotes and contributions. So, he does a lot of things. Solas is the one of the first companions to join our party in Inquisition, along with Cassandra and Varric. He very much presents himself to the Inquisition as someone who wants to help. And so he basically turns himself into the Chantry at first. He leads the Inquisitor to closing their first rift and to stabilize the Breach. He is also the one who tells us that Corypheus's orb is Elven in origin he also presents this knowledge to us as fear for the people for the elven people that is and he uh, argues that if if the rest of Thetis finds out that the orb is elven Thetis would attack the elves in retaliation in reality the el the orb is not elven in origin it is soulless in origin and he is, I think he is really protecting himself in this situation, which is fair. I get it. I totally get where he's coming from, but I do think the orbs will have a role to play in D.A.D.
1: Well, I sometimes wonder, like, from a mythology perspective, often a god's power is in an associated object. Um, in D&D, like, gods have artifacts, and those artifacts are pieces of the god's power, similar in the Elder Scrolls with the Daedra and the Daedric artifacts. Um, and so with the Greek gods, their powers lied in their thrones on Olympus. If you destroyed and took the thrones away, the gods would cease to have their power. And so it makes me think that this orb is a way for Solus to channel his power and like, mainly a source of it. And I think it's likely that the other Evanurus and Forgotten Ones have one, have them too
0: whether or not they're orbs
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i agree um so later on Solus will ask the inquisitor for aid in rescuing a spirit of wisdom one of his friends who has been summoned to our physical world against its will by mages this is his companion quest the name of it is all new faded for her and that title is an anagram for finn harrell the dread wolf so um, when you find the spirit in the Exalted Plains, Solus has discovered that the mages used the spirit to protect themselves from bandits, which forced the spirit to turn against its nature and transform into a pride demon. If you destroy the binding pillars, you can revert the demon into a feminine humanoid form of a spirit and as uh, the spirit you know passes on solace turns his anger toward the mages fairly i think the inquisitor can either talk him down or let him murder them and then solace leaves the party and later on returns to skyhold and this scene is also tragic i think because it it very much illustrates that spirits are real to him in a way that they're not real to most other people in Thetis. and also these idiot mages from the circle they have no idea who they're talking to like first of all with the Inquisitor one of the most powerful mages like in Thetis. but also Solus is literally an ancient elven god they have no idea of course nor could they but they're just like oh We didn't know it was going to kill us. You never know what could happen. We're mages. And then Solace is like, are you freaking kidding me right now? Shut up. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. So it really illustrates like the idiocy of circle mages, I think.
2: I just don't understand why they needed a pride demon when they're mages.
0: Right. I don't get it. I guess. I guess they thought they couldn't handle the bandits I don't know
1: So now they have a bandits and a demon mages can be easily overwhelmed by numbers it's one of the reasons why like the mages just didn't decimate the dark spawn forwards because their numbers just keep growing and a mage as we know from dragon age origins a mage needs concentration the spell casting can't be interrupted they need to draw on lyrium there's a lot of factors that go in there whereas a demon has a seemingly endless supply of energy needing only probably blood magic to operate so that's probably why but i think back to the point there's a really i think the as inquisitor you can basically tell them like when they're talking to just say i think it's best if you just stop talking now
0: but solace does after this return to skyhold and um you finish the game afterwards so in the post credit scene as the three of us know Solus meets with Flemeth who addresses him as the dread wolf as well as an old friend Solas then tells her that he allowed the orb to fall into the hands of the Venatori in order for Corypheus to unlock its true power something he could not accomplish on his own because he was too weak after awakening from his long slumber Solus seems remorseful and regretful, and recognizes that this uh, is not ideal, and that he probably should be punished for it. He does claim, however, that while he should pay the price, quote, he can't face this punishment yet, because the people, the Elven people, still need him. This is when he apologizes to Flemeth, which she answers with an embrace and an apology, interestingly, of her own. Following their exchange, Solus seems to affect Flemeth in some way, and strands of light emerge from her body. She then collapses in his arms, seemingly petrified. And when Solus raises his head, his eyes glow with the same blue light that emanated from Flemeth. And this is the end of the base game. It's a very contested, discussed, theorized scene so I thought we could share any thoughts we have about that part of
1: I'm just going to say after listening to the Morgan episode of two for one ship uh, I don't trust anything Flemeth does and also
2: I don't think that that means she's well Flemeth might be dead but Mythal definitely isn't like even it and and I do believe that Solace could put her essence somewhere else and i'm sure the well of mythal is gonna come into play for that one whoever drank from it i don't know because that's how she survived all this time that's not like flemouth is immortal they passed the essence down through the line so thalas could just be a little <laughs> an egg incubator <laughs> for right now um yeah
0: i <laughs> Sorry, I'm hung up on egg incubator. But no, I agree with both of y'all. I don't necessarily think this means Methal is dead. Um, we know that Flemeth had other daughters besides Morrigan. In canon, we know one of them is named Yavana. We meet her in one of the comics. So we don't know if there are more. I would imagine that there are more. I think Morrigan confirms that there are more than just those two. So we don't know if there's another daughter out there that whose body she's gonna um, assume like she tried to do with morgan and Nirvana like that could be totally possible we have no idea i i just think people assume that scene is mythol flemouth dying which i do not subscribe to that at all because
2: no i mean yeah don't we have to also uh like contend with the spirit of the old god that was in Morgan's son. If you went that route, and didn't, didn't she take that too? So, I mean, if that happened in your playthrough, I don't know how they're gonna. There's so many storylines to track, but gonna have a thing to do with something.
1: I have a theory. This is a quote about the orb from Solus. He says that Cariphus may think the orb is to venter his empire's magic was built on the bones of my people. I. Almost want to interpret this quote literally, in that somehow the bodies of the Evanuris or the Forgotten Ones are powering to Venters' magic, and so my theory is is that Solus is returning Mythal to her original body, and it's into Venter, and that's why he's into Venter.
0: That's really interesting, and I'm I think you may have. um, a good direction with that
2: I don't know I like the thought that it's their actual bodies that would be very interesting but I wonder if it's not just do we know where please correct me if I'm saying this wrong I always want to say Arlathan or is it Arlathon? how do they pronounce it? the ancient elven city the capital right
0: I think it's Arlathon.
2: yeah I um, always want Arlathan yeah. it sounds more elfy to me but Arlathon sure is probably in Tevinter right like so maybe it's like also the bones of everyone else. Like it's just they built their city and Taventer's known for blood magic and necromancy. So that would really track.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we do know that Arlathon is over there toward or was where Tventor is. Like in that general yeah. area. It is a real place. We know that there is the Arlathon Forest that people go to in Tventor night. So yeah that totally tracks for me.
2: I always like the thought, you know how so Corypheus was one of the ancient magisters and he was like I went to the golden city and it was empty and part of me wonders if all of this lore like the Chantry's origin story for the world with the maker and the elven gods like we know for a fact the elven gods were real because we've met two of them so the rest of them Logically, should be real too, and and there the truth is sprinkled in all of these stories. I'm sure, so it makes complete sense to me that I don't know if the magisters had anything to do with the fall, but they came afterward, and that was the seed of their power. But because Solus put the veil up, maybe that's why it was empty. I don't know. They weren't yeah. there anymore because it's it's to me it's always been interesting that the fade is supposed to be like the same part of the world you're at and, and kind of like in dreams, just like stacked on top of each other, right? Like yeah. two worlds, it's separated by the veil, but the world beyond the veil, the fade is so destroyed. And so I wonder if it is literally like frozen in time right after Solas did it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I think the things that are coming to mind in response to that are that like, Neither time nor geography works the same in the fade. So I think that your thought is probably correct, uh, but maybe not in all of the ways we think.
2: Yeah, you know? it's not like the upside down and Stranger Things, but like right. you you know. But it's like it's. I've always thought it was interesting that there's little pieces of the ancient, like you can see the library, for instance, when you mm-hmm. travel through the um, crossroads. And so for me, I'm just like, there has to be pieces of his world in the Fade. And that's why it looks so destroyed.
1: Also, we know the Fade looks different for each mage as they're dreaming and as they're entering it. Or in each person, too. And we see this in, like, the way the fear demon's powers manifest for each individual people. Like, Sarah has her quote of, like, I wish it was spiders. Because she sees the nothing, whatever that is.
0: Well, are we ready to talk about Trespasser? So, in the two years after Corypheus's defeat, Solus has amassed a very large network of spies and agents, many of whom are already within the Inquisition, as we know. During this time, he also gains control of the alluvion network, which allowed him to grow significantly in power. Example, the ability to petrify people immediately example, the Vitasala. Eventually, the Inquisition came across a canary conspiracy called the Dragon's Breath to invade and attack southern Thetis. They came across this while hunting Solus, and they believed that Solus was an agent of Fen'Harel. We know it to be he is Fen'Harel, and he reveals that when you finally meet him in Trespasser. After we fight the Cunari, Solus and the Inquisitor meet in the crossroads and he basically explains himself and saves the Inquisitor's life by cutting off their arm and the anchor. If the Inquisitor has gathered enough evidence, they can call him out on being Fen'Harel, to which Solus will either congratulate them with high approval or Remark that they have grown clever since he left with low approval. I have never, never gathered all the things. I don't have the patience for it. Um, so I've never had that part of the conversation. But otherwise, Solus will confess to being Finn Harrell himself. So I wrote up all of the things that Solus claims to be. And we can talk about whether we believe him or not at the end. So number one, Solus reveals that that he fought back against the Evonuris after they betrayed and murdered Mithol, who was the one and only elven God who loved the people. He claims that as punishment for her murder and to protect the world, from the Evanuris' excesses, Solus erected the veil and banished the Evanuris to the beyond while he fell into a long slumber. He also claims that this caused irrevocable damage across Arlathan and Elvenon, which means that the elves lost their immortality and some of their magic. Countless, countless things were lost in this time period. He also claims that he vowed to walk the solitary path of the Sharral in order to restore the Elden people, regardless of the cost to Thetis or to himself. He cannot be swayed at all, even if romanced. And then finally, he claims that he was the one who gave Corypheus the orb of destruction, as it is called. His plan was for Corypheus to unlock the orb and die in the resulting explosion. He did not foresee Corypheus having uncovered the secret of effective immortality, as we'll put it. If everything had gone according to his plan, he would have reclaimed the orb, used its power to tear down the veil with the anchor. After the world, after this, the world would burn from the ensuing chaos, and he would have then restored the world of his time, the world of the elves. And those are all of his claims. I personally tend to believe him uh not necessarily taking his his words at face value but at least his intentions i think i do believe him
1: i think i do believe him too and i think this is where like i really do kind of take issue with solace in that he is so convinced that he knows what's best he is so convinced that he has the answer and that what he has to do is the only way to accomplish his goals when he doesn't take the time to listen or learn from the people he's trying to help I think he does if you play your cards right as a romance inquisitor he does take that time but at the end of the day his own like he's too smart for his own good that he think he knows that he's extremely intelligent so he says well my conclusion must be the right conclusion
0: yeah and he like can't be convinced that maybe there is another way
2: yeah, and if I were an elf of Thetis, I would probably join up with him, too, after living that type of life, either being a city elf or being forced to live in the wilds because people hate you. As far as if he's telling the truth or not, I mean, we know he's telling his truth, that's for sure. Uh, as far as it being the truth, it definitely isn't because no one ever tells the truth. It's all depending on your perception. and. For whatever reason, he really thinks that the only way to save the world is to bring down the veil, which to me is interesting because he once thought the only way to save the world was to erect the veil. So I'm not really sure what he thinks is going to happen now. Right. Once yeah, he is he planning for the evanuris to come back because they could right
0: right and is is he going to change his mind again in a thousand years like
2: and yeah where what about the other elven gods not the evanuris the forbidden the forgotten ones or one, the, the forgotten, forgotten ones. ones there we go oh i mm-hmm. couldn't remember exactly what they were called like they we don't even know their names right we
0: know three of them
2: three of them okay i mean they're there's something where are they <laughs> who knows apparently banished to the void um sometimes i wonder if because here's the thing is there's a lot of different cultural beliefs that are true in thetis like clearly there's part of the dalish belief system is true because Fen'Harel exists and Mythol exists but also the old gods exist because we have blights how does this and- factor into everything?
0: Right.
2: How, and we've where- met two magisters. Yeah, we've met two magisters. We've met the giants. What are they called for the dwarves?
1: The titans. The titan. The
2: like we know about one at least from, yeah. was it the Descent DLC? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like all of these things are true. So I don't know how it all comes together because it has to. It's yeah. one world. Um. So I think
0: they're very much leading us to a place where there are bits of the truth. Everyone has part of the truth. The Chantry has a little bit of the truth. The Dwarves, the Dalish, the City Elves, the Kunari, even, to Venter, like everyone's got a piece of the pie. I was also going to say, back to your point, Rivada, about when he does tear down the veil and restore Thetis to his prior glory, like do the old, or do the Ebonurists come back? Like what happens? And I think the answer is probably yes. I think there's a very high likelihood that one of the Evanuris, notably, specifically, probably Elgranon, as he was kind of like their leader, is going to be the big bad of DAD. That's my, I don't know if that's a hot take or just like a theory, but I think that that's possible. Personal opinion.
2: No, I like it. I mean, my big thing too is trying to figure out how the red lyrium idol plays into all this. Yeah. Because it obviously does.
0: Yeah. Uh, hmm. Which um, we'll talk about in a minute. So that's a good transition. So yes, Austin. And the
1: staff. I'm not going to let the red lyrium staff go from our last episode. That yes. with the idol was made a staff. Which a lyrium infused staff with a mage is the strongest staff you can craft in dragon's inquisition right so a red lyrium i feel like is
0: it's frightening Mm-hmm. yeah true um so let's before we wrap this episode up let's talk about what solas has been doing after trespasser and inquisition this is going to be a little bit about the red lyrium idol gaius an elven agent of Finn harrell acquired the red lyrium idol from Kirkwall. By impersonating a person named Magister Kintara, Gaius tr- then traded the lyrium idol away to House Denarius. Interesting. For information, which Solus did not approve of. Um, Solus didn't want that. So Solus is very close to having the red lyrium idol in his possession. Didn't get it um but we'll get back to where it's at right now uh but by special commission of the inquisition's inner circle um a bard named philium he goes by philium a bard exclamation point brother TV and formerly sister laudine are all sent on an expedition to the Silent Plains. We talked about the Silent Plains earlier and they're sent there to look into the Fen'Harel question because they want to know the true history of the elven pantheon. They then find an ancient elven library that fell into the deep roads when Arlathon fell. Soon after this, a Kunari by the name of Rasan arrives looking for Solus's true name she says that Solus is the name of a martyr and that Fen-Harel is the name that was given by his enemies and has been incorrectly translated into the Dread Wolf. So Rassan argues that there is another name for Solus out there and we're not really sure what, it, what that name is yet. But also back to the Silent Plains, the Silent Plains is an area south of Tevinter whose elves have always worshipped the dread wolf instead of fearing him like the other elves. So this could be the place where Solus, the person before he was the Dread Wolf, where he grew up, where he
2: lived. I either thought was was that where he slept after hmm. he directed the veil, and then he's just kind of influenced the elves who dream there. You know?
0: Yeah, that too. That too. Charter, who is a spy of the Inquisition and an NPC in the base game calls a meeting of Thetis's best spies so that they can all share information about Solas and his plans to restore the empire of the ancient elves. This is the subject matter of the very last chapter of Taventer Knights. I have said this multiple times in the show. You need to read this, at least this chapter, before DAD comes out one of the most important things to do even before playing a solace man's playthrough or watching that on YouTube. Like this chapter is important. So I'm gonna sum it up. If you haven't read that, you might want to just turn off the episode here. But so Charter organizes this meeting of Thetis's best spies to share information about Solace. So she gathers a Carta assassin, a mortalitassi mage and an executor from across the sea and an Orlesian bard all meet with her in Hunterfell in a tavern called the Tea House. So in this meeting, the Carta assassin says that Solas wants the lyrium idol. They retrieved Meredith's statue thanks to a potion, and several people were killed in their sleep as if during a bad dream, including dwarves. The Mortalitasi says that she was attacked by the Dread Wolf in the Fade while using the Lyrium Idol as part of a ritual with a Tevinter Mage. First of all, all of that sounds sketchy. But uh, the Mortalitasi mage also describes the Dread Wolf as a six eyed lupine beast the size of a high dragon. Interesting, goes along with the tarot cards. He accused her of threatening all of creation with her careless use of his idol, fair, and that her life would be forfeit if she bound any more spirits. An army of spirits then attacked her in the real world through a rift after the ritual collapsed. The Orlesian Bard claims that he saw Solas retrieve the idol from an auction house in Lamarin. These stories indicate that Solas has already begun his ritual that will restore the Elven Empire and that it has already begun to affect the Fade And that the Lyrium idol is intimately connected in some way in all of this. As they each start accusing each other of lying, Charter realizes that Solus is in fact posing as the Orlesian bard, wearing a dragon mask and long blonde curls, and that he has turned the executor to stone with a touch to prevent him from speaking. Charter then begs for her life, and he grants it to her. But he does kill the Carta assassin and the Mortalitasi mage. Solas claims that he has no choice but to go through with his plan, that it will save the world, and that the elves who still remain like Charter might even find it a better place. He also says that revealing his plan to the Inquisitor was a moment of weakness, and that he is no God, only prideful, hot-headed, and foolish. He then asks her to apologize to the Inquisitor when she reports back, and then he leaves. And that's the end of it.
2: Wow. I want to see him in curls. <laughs> also, I think it's funny that the tavern's called the Tea House, and he hates mm-hmm. tea. Yep. so many
0: interesting things right yeah
2: but seriously though like i really want to know and i'm sure everyone else does i really want to know why he thinks this is the only way to save the world is it does it have something to do with everything because i mean there is what one or two old gods left to cause blights right there's not many Mm -hmm. more i don't know there's two okay yeah maybe three
0: uh there's unknown but
2: Definitely yeah, too. there's just so many things that can go wrong here i don't know i don't know if destroying the veil will save it what happens to the demons and the spirits when the veil comes down what were they before the veil went up were they there i don't know
0: i don't know well, i i feel like his obsession with restoring the world the way that it was is almost like he's running from something. Like he knows something is coming to Thetis that will destroy them. And this is what's going to prevent it.
2: I agree. Because he doesn't well, feel <laughs> like he, he seems desperate always. Yeah. He, he yes. doesn't seem like a crazed dictator or like happy to be in power in any way. Like he just, he seems like he is being forced. Like he truly thinks this is the only way. And that's why I want to know why he thinks that.
1: This is my theory for his rushing. I think that what he did greatly weakened the veil and that if his plan had gone according to plan with Griffius, the veil would have been destroyed. But because it was just weakened, I think that Elgernon and the Evanuris or the Forgotten Ones have been biding and building strength. And he wants to tear down the veil to weaken them before they break it down themselves.
2: Definitely possible. Mm -hmm.
0: Terrifying thought. But yeah, it's possible. So where is Solus now? Um, In DAD, they're very much setting him up as the obvious antagonist of the game. Um, and he's been in all the trailers. I'm not sure that he will be the main antagonist. I think that that could be a foil, but they're setting him up to be the main antagonist. Kind of one of the things that, that leads me to say that is the quote of him at the end of Trespasser when he says, so you found me at le- at last. I suspect you have questions. And then in one of the trailers, he says, they call me the Dread Wolf. What will they call you when all this is over? That doesn't sound to me like
1: someone you're fighting.
0: That doesn't sound like your enemy. Why would you be having a conversation like that with your enemy? Your opponent in a war,
1: and I also just want to say, Caripius wasn't anywhere near the Dragon Age Inquisition trailers, and
2: he's uh not the only Magister. So there's probably some more somewhere. Who knows?
0: Yeah, I feel like they forgot about the Architect, but like the Architect uh, could probably be a- alive in your world state.
2: Exactly.
1: I have another theory. So, and this <laughs> unfortunately Let goes it. back to Anders, but <laughs> we talk no. About- if we talk about Anders' relationship with Justice, like, mm-hmm. almost pushes Anders to where he takes over for Anders and acts in ways that and that the real Anders would not act. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a similar thing happening with Solus, and his urgency is that he needs to restore the elven people before this demon takes over and destroys the entire world.
2: Because that was my question, is like, did if the veil didn't exist before it makes sense that the demons didn't either and if he removes the veil perhaps the demons will just all like poof out of existence or something i don't know but also like like you said with justice and anders like that they exist so that kind of relationship with a spirit slash demon can exist again and it makes sense that it would be so much worse with solace because he's so much more powerful And older and all that stuff, you know? Even if he isn't a god, he's not normal. (laughs) Like, he's he's an ancient elf, you know?
1: He also claims that spirits and demons are the same. Mm -hmm. Demons are corrupted versions of spirits. For example, like, justice, when corrupted by Andrew's own oppression and anger and hatred, becomes vengeance. I think demons probably did exist before the veil because I and I think that's what Solus talks about, the excessiveness of the Evanuris. Oh, is yeah, that you're right. Using spirits so much that they were becoming corrupted. Yeah. And these demons. And the pantry teaches us that kind of a similar thing in the in Trinities, whatever it is, um, five, that, you know, the spirits became corrupted. And they use similar words like turning to pride and yeah. lust and desire and things like that.
2: I think it's interesting though. Like, I don't know. It was so Solace's companion quest when, if you choose to break the boundary pillars or the, what are they called? They're holding the spirit there, the demon there, and you can revert the pride demon back to the spirit of wisdom that is his friend. She disappears and he acts like she died. I don't know what that means, how a spirit can die, but what it did prove is that you can revert a demon back to the spirit form, which is good because if Solus becomes an abomination or something, you know, like
1: we could fix him, hopefully. <laughs> and that's an option. So I would want to fix him.
0: Yeah, and we also know that from Faramond.
1: When also touches on the subject. You can ask her if an abomination can be reversed. And she says, there might be some way by killing the demon in the fade, kinda like you do with Connor. Yeah. Um, but she said a mage who's truly turned is never I've never seen them be the same after some mess. Mm-hmm.
0: Before we finish up though, let's talk about why we love or hate Solus.
1: I think Solus is a well written character. I think that he's a character with depth and that you can't take him at face value. It's just really hard. For me to get on board with someone who look who comes to the conclusion that genocide and mass murder are the answer for them and it's the same thing I said about Anders so that's kind of where I'm at with Solis right now at least but I don't think that he's like an unsympathetic person and I think if he is the antagonist of dad I think that it'll be the first time Bioware doesn't give us a solely like evil antagonist like true antagonist that we can say oh they're evil and they're doing evil things
2: gosh i really wouldn't want them to make him the main antagonist as as wonderful and conflicting as that would be just because i do love him (laughs) but you're right i mean it's it's always been really easy to fight the enemy in any bioware game because they're always so different they're not you at all like they don't look like you they're completely alien in some cases, like the Geth in Mass Effect One, the Reapers in the Collectors, like they're not you, they're very evil, they're clearly doing evil things. And then in Dragon Age, we get the Dark Spawn, which are very evil, you know. So if Solace is the main enemy and you're fighting elves in Dragon Mage Dad, <laughs> Dragon Age Shard Wolf, I don't know. That'd be that'd be so complicated. It does make for a good story. It's not how I want the story to end, but I mean, either way, I, I mean, I do agree with you like that. We can't know for certain if everyone will die when he brings down the veil. Like he, he doesn't think so. Cause he tells elves like the world will be better for you. So at least they'll survive somehow according to him, but we don't know what's going to happen. It's definitely not going to change the world completely. So <sighs> I do have to concede that I don't want him to commit mass murder, but I can't, it's, it's the voice. It's really the voice for me <laughs> and i think it calls his just general angsty He just calls to the emo kid in me you know he really oh, yes. does
0: yeah he's very mm-hmm, i get that i i do i used to hate solace and then once i got into a solace romance and even just like when i befriended him as a character Um, Because my first playthrough, we were not friends. My first playthrough was a Dalish Inquisitor. And I tried to, like, defend elves. And he was so mean to them. And I was like, no, no, sir, no, thank you. And then I, you know, subsequent playthroughs, I befriended him. And it really changed my mind on him. um, Because it's, like we talked about earlier, he's not a black and white person. He's not just elves bad, me good, or whatever. Um, It's a lot more complex than that. So it's kind of hard for me to even talk about why I like him or dislike him other than he's just so complex of a person. And I think that that really shows us how well he's written. Um, because we are complex people. Like there are people out there who just hate me. I'm sure there are people listening who just are like, Shelby's annoying. Like I only listen for Austin or whatever. Um, And that's just how people are. That's just, there's just some people we don't like, you know, Um, and that's the complexity of like being a person. And I think that they really capture that really well with solace, especially.
2: Yep, that proof is in the pudding with how many people feel strongly one way or the other. And I can definitely see why you wouldn't like him. I mean, he's not particularly hot. He's super con- condescending and rude. If, if you're not nice to him, it just gets worse. <laughs> it, it's like you said, he's so complicated and multifaceted. And the fact that like he is so different depending on how you behave towards him and in and general behave and the choices you make in inquisition you you don't really know him like mm. depending on how you play the game i think it's much more rewarding to know him um and i definitely think i mean i he is my canon inquisition romance for sure like as as disappointing as the end is i don't know it just it's so good. <laughs> it's it's so good because you want it to work. And, like, you can tell he wants it to work so bad. That's something Patrick Weeks said about that scene. They said that that was in with the vaseline that he was going to tell uh, Lavellon uh, everything then and instead redirected to the vaseline at the last second because he chickened out. Yeah. And if he is the big bad, why would he be afraid to admit that, you know? So I just wonder, yeah, if you want to hear more uh, analysis about video game romances from any game, but Bioware is definitely where we started, then you should check out the Two Girls, One Ship podcast. Uh, We're also a part of the Robots Radio Network, so you should be able to find us pretty easily or the Rocket Club, I should say. Robots Radio Rocket Club. Um, Yeah. And uh, go Solace
1: thanks for being on the show i definitely check out their podcasts Uh, they do all of the dragon age i know they have episodes of all of the dragon age origins characters if you're interested in those or if you're a mass effect fan they've got mass effect one and two also i think you're working through cyberpunk right now Mm -hmm. you might
2: No, yeah and then next uh i think is fallout four and then dragon age two so we're going to get back into dragon age again soon
1: If you are ever thinking, man, I love the Dragon Age lore cast, but they just don't go deep enough into the romance. Head over to the Two Girls, One Ship, because they cover everything we don't. We go very deep. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. (laughs) Well, with that, I think we're all good to go. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Dragon Age lore cast. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DALorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at DALorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered.
0: Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between things like what exactly happened on the night of the Black Knives or what we really know about characters like Micola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the robots radio network. So, you know, it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show. Easy, either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the
1: show for later and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's the Elden Archives, Fromsoft Lorecast available everywhere.